It's uh, good to see you all here this morning. Um, my name is Cameron. I'm the pastor here at uh, Conduit, and uh, we welcome you. If this is your first time, first time or your 500th time, uh, we're glad you're here. Uh, we're uh, in, a, in a brief um, kind of lead up or walk up into uh, Easter. You know, Easter is coming here in a, in a few weeks. And, uh, you know, the, the Easter story is also written in Scripture so that it kind of progressively unfolds right up until the point where Jesus is arrested and and tried, and then crucified, and then, of course, um, resurrected to new life again in, uh, on Easter Sunday. And how we have talked about that, like, not the, the weeks leading up to Jesus' death aren't separated from his death and then the resurrection itself, and then, and then how Good Friday, or when we recognize the, the death of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, as, as an absolutely, absolutely necessary and critical part of our, um, of our experience and, uh, and of the revelation of God on Easter Sunday. Basically, you can't have the glory of the resurrection if you don't have the horror of the crucifixion. And so we, cele- we celebrate or we remember both. And so um, our, our, Easter, our Easter, the Easter weekend here at Conduit next week is Palm Sunday um, and a meaning of palms and, and how they were used in the, in the uh, final week of Jesus' life. And um, then Good Friday service, the following Friday at 7 p.m. here at the church has a communion service. It's also a really, um, it's a, it's a really important service in order to, again, understand the glory that is experienced on Easter Sunday. It's hard to like wrap your minds around that glory without understanding the horror of Good Friday. And so would really encourage you to be here if you can. Of course, it'll be online as well. Uh, but Good Friday uh, service will happen as well. Uh, just as a point of uh, announcements here for the next, uh, for this coming week, this coming, this coming Friday, uh, the 26th, is a women's worship night here at the church. So um, if you happen to be a woman and happen to love worship, um, this is for you. Uh, and so the women's ministry here is con- at Conduit is putting on a, a worship night for women, and so we welcome you uh, to come here, invite your friends, uh, invite your family uh, to come as well. And then uh, this tonight, this Sunday, which is also tonight, um, tonight is a uh, youth group for youth group age kids uh, here at the church at, from 5.30 to 7.30. And so uh, if you are in that demographic, please plan on attending as well. All right, so um, we're going to look at a, a, a portion of the week before or right before Jesus came into Jerusalem for the last time in his ministry. Uh, so... We talked a few weeks ago about Jesus predicting his own death and how the disciples were, they were intent on, um, 
They, they were intent on thwarting that, that plan. You know, even in the midst of Jesus saying, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to go. It's long been foretold that the Messiah would suffer at the hands of, uh, of those in power at the time and we would be deserted by those who, lo- who um, say they loved him the most, right? Um, this is the way it's going to go. And the disciples, Peter in particular, that we talked about last week, was like, listen, Jesus, um, that's a great plan and all. I, I really respect your lordship of over all of creation, but we're going to go ahead and not let that happen to you, right? And of course, Jesus reacted fairly strongly against that. Uh, because there's nothing that the enemy wants more, right, than, um, than to thwart the plan of redemption that even Isaiah, back hundreds of years before, had said the Messiah would come and would suffer many things, but the people would be redeemed. And Satan, the enemy, of course, tried to convince Jesus to take lordship for himself without suffering in Matthew chapter 4 in his temptation. And then now through the work of Peter was even encouraging Jesus to find some other way to exert his messiahship without going to the cross, without suffering. And, and Jesus remained resolute in the plan that, look, hey, suffering is not, suffering is not evidence somehow of God's absence from your life. In fact, Jesus went on to tell Peter and the disciples that, that, that suffering in, in some forms is, is, is actually a primary characteristic for those who choose to follow Jesus. And he, he used the analogy of, of taking up a cross, which for the disciples hearing that in that time would have not been a symbol of life like it is for us, but would have been a symbol of death. And so when he tells the disciples, his followers, hey, it is, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, it's necessary for you to pick up a cross and to follow me to, to die. Jesus goes on to say to die to yourself, to die to your own life, to die to your own priorities, to die to your to your own wishes, and, 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 and follow me into a life of newness and resurrection. And Jesus said, if you are willing to lose your life for my sake, you will for the first time ever actually find it. You will truly experience it. You will, you will truly realize what it means to live when you lose the life when you lose your own life, when you pick up that cross. And so this was all like semi-new for the disciples. And they were struggling to believe it and struggling to understand, you know, because there was, there's always this, this human power dynamic going on where they want to believe that everything must happen in the way that the world says it must happen in order for there to be like success, right? And, and for them, looking at Jesus who they believe is going to be Messiah, is Messiah, who they believe is Lord, who they believe is King, the idea of Jesus dying is a completely foreign idea to anything that the world would say that a powerful leader should submit themselves to. Right? That leaders in the world, they don't 
they don't die to themselves. Right? They exert themselves. They rise up. They come on top. And then they lead from a top-down approach. And so for the disciples, for them to hear, yes, I am Lord of all creation. I am the Messiah. I am the one that has come to redeem my people Israel from their sins and to release them into new life and the covenants of God. And then, oh yeah, I'm also going to be crucified. The, like, the whiplash for them was just too much for them to take, right? Because like you and I, they were still living in this worldly ideal, right, of kings are powerful, messiahs rule, lords are actually lords, and no one tells the king what's going to happen, and certainly no, no king is going to die. Certainly no king is going to submit themselves to death on a cross, which was shameful, which was bloody, which was torturous. There was, no, there was no way for them to wrap their mind around that. This is what's so different about Jesus. This is what's so, I guess I'll use the term, otherworldly about the God that we serve. He is not like us. Right? The ways of God are not like the ways of man. The ways of the world are not like the ways of God. And we're going to see again this morning just how, just how different the nature and character of God is than the, than the flesh and that the way that, the, that, the, way that the, the, the world approaches things like servanthood and leadership and authority. And how Jesus actively worked to deconstruct what the world said, says was important about leadership, what the world says is important about serving, and to, and, and to plant in the soil of everyone who follows him what, what, what is a, a kingdom ideal of servanthood. Critically important for you and I. Critically important for a, the, the body of Christ as we go, go about living in a world that says in order um, to be important and to be on top, you got to claw, you got to fight. When you're climbing that ladder, if you got to step on a few fingers and toes and heads and faces, do it because you got to look out for you. And, and Jesus flips that on his head like he does everything else, right? If you want to be rich, you have to be poor, right? right? If you want to be exalted, then you should what? Humble yourself, right? If you want to be first, then you should be last, right? So Jesus takes everything that the world says, right? And it's like, whoop! Okay. So, Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 20. Do we have any self-proclaimed 
or willing to admit it, helicopter moms. Some of you are really brave. Thank you, right? I, so, I don't think that helicopter mom is necessarily a pejorative term, right? I think that uh, moms, dads even, maybe you're a helicopter dad. Maybe you're a helicopter grandma. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know, but like we, you know, and maybe, you don't, maybe you're like, I don't know, have any idea, I'm not woke, I don't know what this term is, helicopter, right? And so this is like these, like, moms that are, like, always helicoptering over their kids, right? Orchestrating the details of their lives, making sure that nothing goes wrong, or, like, um, you know, putting all the pieces together, doting, 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 right? I mean, honestly, I'm out in, like, I'm letting my kids eat dirt, right? Like, whatever, right? Just make sure it's actually dirt, right? Not the other stuff. You'll be fine. You'll be fine, right? Um, just throw some food on the floor. They'll get it eventually. I'm kidding. Kind of. <laughs> right? But, but, but we have here in this, in this portion of the gospel that, like, the first recorded helicopter mom. Okay? It is the mom of, um, it is the mom of Zebedee's sons. Right? James and John. Listen, okay, verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it that you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. Can you imagine? Like, oh, freaking mom. Like... You don't ask that to Jesus. What is the matter with you, right? So there's this, like, like, come on, we're going to ask him. Uh, kneeling down at Jesus, Jesus is like, what, what, what do you want? Well, I, you know, grant that in your kingdom, in heaven, that one of these sons would sit at your right hand, the other son would sit at your left hand. Now, it may, it may seem just, casual, right, but um, the, the seats of the right hand and the left hand were the seats of authority, the seats of power, and the seats of prominence, okay? So um, when, when she's asking this, she's, she's asking that her sons, her two sons, be, be placed in the Highest seats of honor next to Jesus in heaven or in, in his kingdom, okay? Um, a noble request from a mom. I would want that for my kids, right? Right, like, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll do what we can, guys. We'll, we'll, we'll get you the best spot that we can. Now, we got to be honest with ourselves here, okay? Um, because if I were to ask you, if I were to ask you the question, who, who here would, would like um, authority, influence, power, leadership, any of those things? Would anyone want any of those things? 
Y'all a bunch of liars. Yeah. None of you want leadership. None of you want authority. None of you want influence. Right? I do. Right? These are not universally bad things. Hear that. Power, authority, influence, leadership. They're, they're not universally bad things. They are, they are not in and of themselves evil. It's not wanting a place of influence, wanting a place of authority, wanting a place of power or, or leadership is not, is not a universally negative thing. Now the question we must ask is, what are we willing to do? What are you willing to go through in order to gain power? in order to gain influence or to gain authority or to gain leadership? That is the question we must ask ourselves. Not do you want those things. You do want those things. I want to have leadership and influence over my children. I want to have influence and leadership in my church. I want to have influence and leadership in my community. Who wouldn't? Because when a sanctified heart leads, when a sanctified heart has influence, when a sanctified heart is put in a position of power and authority, then they lead with those things as well, right? And when people are led in those ways, um, uh, fruit comes from that. So let's, let's conceive in our minds, right, that the world, the woke world, will tell you that power is bad. Power is universally bad. Influences. Leader, you know, like all leaders can't be trusted. All, all leaders are dirty. Or they have, they have suspect motivations. Bull. No. No. When we follow Jesus, and we lead in the ways that Jesus has taught us to lead and exemplified in leadership, power, influence, leadership, authority are, are godly attributes that can be used for the blessing of his kingdom and for the success of others. And we should want those things. We should just be aware of how we get there. And what what the disciples are dealing with here is a misguided plan of how to get there. And Jesus sees it and addresses it. Oh, we're just going to get there because someone just came and said, hey, it doesn't, doesn't matter the character, it doesn't matter the track record, it doesn't matter any of those things, just put my sons in the most powerful place. Just, just get them there. So how does Jesus respond when the request is made? Well, she, she says, what is, it, what is it that you, or he says, what is it that you want? And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other in your left in your kingdom. It's a bold, it's a very bold question. One that I don't think that Jesus doesn't, it doesn't, um, he doesn't insinuate that it's a bad question. And, 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 and maybe it's an opportunity for you and I to ask, um, to ask this question. 
to, to ask the question of, like, where are you asking, like, where, where do you ask Jesus to place you? Like, what seat are you asking Jesus to give to you? Next to him? Above someone else? Um, here in your organization or your, in your family, right? Give me this power, give me this influence, or give me this authority, give me this leadership. Like, like where are you asking Jesus to place you? And the question, then, the follow-up question, which is the, exactly the question that Jesus asks, have you counted the cost to the place that you're asking Jesus to put you? Have, you? have you considered the cost of the position that you're asking Jesus to give you? Jesus asks a rhetorical question that I think he already knows the answer to, but the disciples don't get that it's a rhetorical question, and so they answer it in a really confident way. He says, look, listen, in verse 22, he says, you don't know what you are asking. Like, you haven't counted the cost, man. You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? You want to be at my right hand? You want to be at my left? Okay, that's the position that you want. And what the, what the kind of the, the Greek grammar here shows us is that when Jesus addresses the question from the mom, he doesn't actually address just mom. The you there that he, that he in the beginning of verse 22, you don't understand what you're asking is you in the plural form. Not like, hey mom, you don't understand what you're asking of your sons, but hey you three, y'all don't understand what you're asking for. Yins, yous, y'all, y'all don't get it, okay? You don't understand what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? What Jesus asks them there, that rhetorical question that he asks them is, whenever we see the cup mentioned, right, and there's, there's some disagreement about this, but almost Almost universally in Scripture, the cup is to refer to a, um, like a yoke of suffering. Like a vessel that suffering is carried in. The cup of God's wrath, for instance. When Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prays to the Father, Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Right? It is an experience of suffering. And so when Jesus asks, are you willing to drink from this cup that I am about to drink from, he's asking the disciples, have you counted the cost of what it would mean for you to sit next to me? Because what I am going to experience is extreme suffering. He's once again telling his disciples, hey look, this is my trajectory. This is the direction that I'm going. Are you willing to go in the same way? It's rhetorical. The disciples, eager to please, I'm imagining, like, their britches too big, right? 
says, oh yeah, for sure. Yes. So ready. So ready to drink from the cup of suffering that you are to drink from. Well, when it was time for Jesus to suffer, what happened to the disciples? They ran for their lives. Right? Matthew chapter 26, verse 56, just a few chapters later, right? At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, um, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this all has taken place, uh, that the writings of the prophets must be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. And so it was, when it was time for these young men to fulfill their affirmative action or affirmative answer of following Jesus and taking the cup of suffering, their immediate response was like, yeah, well, we, we told Jesus we were going to be with him. We told Jesus we were going to do this, so here we are. Right? No, they were gone. They, they, they were not willing. They did not have what it takes they did not count the cost. Verse 23. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. He essentially says, Well, yeah, you are right. In some way, shape, or form, you will suffer. And we do know that all the disciples, all the original um, uh, 11, or you know, 12 minus Judas, right, um, were, were killed for their faith in the spreading and the proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus in the decades after uh, Jesus ascended back into heaven. And so they did indeed end up suffering, or in some way, shape, or form, being under the yoke of what Jesus was as well. But then he, he answered the question by simply telling them, hey, look, um, those seats already reserved. They're not for you. Here's something you must know. This is for your own personal life and whatever place of leadership or authority or power or influence you have, but it's also as you consider those who are in leadership, power, influence, or authority over your life, right, in your life, that you have a picture into, um, that you are, you are building a capacity for, understanding for the position that they have, so that, so that we honor those who lead us, that we honor those in positions of power, influence, authority, and leadership over us, is that, is that those things, leadership, authority, influence, power, is wrought with the crosses of life. It is, it is full of suffering, it is full of pressure, it is full of stress, it is full of um, hardship, it is full. Jesus explained this. Can, hey, look, you want that place of authority? Do you have any idea what I will experience to go through or to get there? And the answer is no, they don't. And they didn't. Because oftentimes, people never do. They, they, 
They never do take a minute not to just count their own cost, but to count the cost of those who have led them or are leading them or who have influence or leadership in their lives. Because what often happens is we see, we look at, our, we look at leaders in our lives and we see the fruit of their leadership. Sometimes the fruit is good, sometimes the fruit is not so good, but we see the fruit. Right? That's what we see. Very rarely do we stop to consider the framework or the root structure that produced that fruit. You know, a tree that regularly produces fruit is a tree that's roots have been um, strengthened and sent down deep into the soil. And that is, is often, you know, one of the, we're, we're, growing, um, we're growing vegetables in our house right now, you know, like under lights, you know, getting them ready for the garden. And, um, and, and one way it, to harden off plants in order to bring them into, is you can either set a little fan up, Right? So like a soft breeze blows on them when they're really small. Because the, or you can run your hand over the top of them a few times a day, right? Because that, that pressure or that force against those plants, it strengthens their root structure to hold on. Because when they get outside in the elements, right, and the wind is blowing, right, the, 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 the roots need to be strong so that the fruit can be produced. But the roots don't get strong if they don't experience the hardship. If they don't experience the wind. If they don't experience the cold, right? And so there is a cost to the plant for the fruit that it produces. And we often look at leaders or people in positions of authority or influence and power and we'll be like, Man, it must be nice to be them. Must be nice. Right? At the top of the rung, they're making probably, you know, whatever organization or whatever, they're, they're probably making the most money. They have the most people underneath them. They're supervising the most people. They have the most influence. When they say something, it usually gets done or power or leadership or whatever. But it must be nice. Right? Must be nice to what? Experience all the pressure. Experience all the stress. Have the most invested. Be the one that's easiest to like shoot arrows at. Like there's a reality about leadership. Reality about power. Reality about authority is that the place at the top is often the most lonely place to be with the most pressure and the most at cost and it's and it's 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 the the and and when you're when you're not in that place often you don't understand the the cost personally professionally emotionally spiritually that a that a person has has doled out in order to to be there I read um, a story. I read a story the uh, maybe this past week or so. Um, uh, anyone know who Lionel Messi is? 
Messi, okay, yeah. Some of our, our soccer fans, soccer fans among us will know who Messi is. He's generally regarded as one of the best soccer players to ever live, right? Definitely the best soccer player playing now, right? And as a lifelong soccer both player and fan, right? I was reading an article on him, and there, there seemed to be somewhat, oh, I don't know, say about 10 years ago, a meteoric rise of Messi. He's kind of like burst on the club scene in Europe and was just like he could not be stopped. Scoring goals like crazy, like just could, could change the trajectory of a game like that, right? And he was interviewed about that, and he was like, and, and the interviewer said, how did you become such an overnight sensation and success? How did you get good, so good so quick? And, and Messi said this. He was like, yeah, um, it took me 17 years to become an overnight success. It took me three practices a day to become an overnight success. It took me um, watching what I eat to become an overnight success. It took me every day in the weight room, every, every day on the pitch, never going anywhere without a ball at my foot, studying the game in my off time. It took me only 17 and a half years to become an overnight success. Well, it must be nice to be Lionel Messi, right? It must be nice. It must be nice. And so the position of power and authority is always one where we must count the cost. What, what happened next was really an interesting thing because it shows us that, the, uh, that the, our pursuit of leadership, if done in the wrong way, is not without consequences to those around us. In verse 24, Matthew recounts, when the ten heard about this, so the other ten disciples, right? The other ten disciples weren't there, apparently, and didn't hear about this. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. The quest for power in the ways and methods of the world can and almost always will cause relational strife. If you are stepping on people to get to the place that you think you deserve or want to be, you may get there, but you may turn around when you get there and realize that all of the authority and leadership and power and influence that you thought you had when you got there, you don't have because now no one is willing to follow you. You may be exercising a authoritarian rule in your home, for instance, over your kids, thinking that, well, I am being, hard, I am being really hard on them, and I am like, I, I am, the, I am the, the Lord of this house because, because it's going be, to be good for them, and someday that they will, they will thank me for this. And you know what, you know what could happen? Is that is that you can turn around in their teenage years and realize you have not planted seeds of gentleness and grace and servanthood and compassion in your children. And so you may be the leader, but they're not willing to follow you. How you lead, how you get to the place 
of being in that leadership and power and authority, it matters. It matters. Because you won't lead long if you have no followers. In verse 25, Jesus uses the kind of like the relational strife between the, twelve, the two and the ten as a teaching moment for everyone else. He uses it as an opportunity to teach a kingdom lesson about leadership. One we should be wise to listen to um, here in this place as a, as a people. I'm going to tell you something that that you don't just lead from positions of power. Well, I'm going to give away my sermon. You don't just lead from positions of power. You lead from positions, any position that you have. Okay? But listen, verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. This was, a, this was a stinging rebuke of the way in which essentially the world or the Gentiles led the people. The rulers of the Gentiles, they, they lord it over them. Think of that in like a negative term. Like they, they come over top in authority, not just with authority, but like in authoritarian manner. Ruling Ruling with a stick. Ruling with an iron hand, so to speak. Right? And then, so that in verse, uh, or so, so, the, so the world here, and what Jesus says is that the, the world uses authority as a way to lord or rule over top of someone else. Right? That's, the, that's a worldly way to lead. Is that we use authority... We use leadership as a way to be over others. Over top of others. Better, higher than others. What does Jesus say about the worldly desire of leadership being a tool of authority where we get above others? He says in verse 26, to his disciples, but not so with you. We will not exercise these same types of models, ways of interacting with people, ways of, ways of leading. We will not lord over others. We will not hover over others and assert our leadership dominance. Not so with you, he says in verse 26. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. It's one of those one more way in which Jesus takes the, the, the common understanding of something in the world, right? Lord it over, being, being dominant leadership, and he flips it on his head. Do you want to be in a position of power and greatness and influence and, and, and leadership and authority? You must become a servant. You want to be great according to the kingdom of heaven? 
be a servant. Do you want to be the best at your job, in your organization, in your community? Become a servant. Do you want to lead? Become a servant. Do you want to have influence? Become a servant. The world may look at you as doing only menial jobs, menial tasks, having no, no real influence or power and authority, right? Your, your name might, be not, might not be known in your community or in your workplace, but you know what? Your name is going to be, like, loud in heaven. Jesus is going to know your name. Heaven is going to know your name. If you are willing to serve, heaven will know your name. The world might not know your name, but heaven will know your name. Jesus will know your name. There is kind of questions to determine, right? Subtly determine how we approach this idea of influence and leadership and power and our own, um, our own like willingness to be a servant according to the way of Jesus, right? And it's, it's questions like this. Um, sometimes I feel like I need one of those helmets. Like... Two straws. Um, don't waste your money on one of those to get get it for me. It's not a it's not a request. <laughs> Unless you do, then put lemonade in one side and iced tea on the other, please. Uh. So, question questions for us. What is my, what, what is, like, what is my servant aptitude? What is my servant aptitude? Okay. So let's, let's honestly ask these questions of ourselves. Are there places? Are there, are there people? Thank you, Norman. Bless you. Are there places? Are there, are there people? Are there jobs? Are there opportunities that you honestly believe are below you? I'm not doing that. I am so way too qualified. Isn't there like an intern that we can get to do that? Oh, there, there's this big cleanup project that, that needs to happen at the church. Well, I'm sure the youth group will do that. <laughs> Ever heard that before? There's a job that no one wants to do. Well, let's see if the youth group wants to do that. Are there people, places, jobs, 
opportunities that you legitimately think are below you. Yeah, you know, uh, I just really, you know, the, the kids' ministry at church, I know they need people to serve, like, desperately. I know, like, that those kids are just, like, yearning for positive influences and an incarnation of the gospel in their lives. And I know it would really be a blessing to families and to parents and all of that. But, man, you know, I, I just really feel like my gifts and my graces would be better served not doing anything. Uh, yeah, I, it's just kind of, like I'm, I really got some super good skills. I can really teach adults really well, but kids, nah, not my thing. Not my thing. Well, that's not fair, Pastor. <laughs> well, no one said life was fair. <laughs> because the reality is, is there's not just things in your life that you may like inherently believe are below you and so that you're not willing to get involved in. There's things they're serving here at church that you inherently believe is below you so that you don't get involved in. Right? You're too busy, you're too important, there's too much going on. Uh, you couldn't you, you couldn't possibly you couldn't you couldn't possibly sacrifice one Sunday a month, right? Of of being in here to be somewhere else, right? You know, one of these days, y'all, I'm just not gonna, I'm just gonna go and like, I'm gonna pastor your kids. I'm just not gonna tell y'all. Right, I'm just gonna go down there when we're like absolutely empty of volunteers. Um, and you may be sensing a little frustration, right? It's probably because I'm frustrated. A little bit about that, okay? Uh, typically, in here at Conduit, we run about 30% of our worshiping population on a Sunday is kids 12 years old and younger. That's a lot. You know? When there is, when there is 250 of you here or in this room, there's about 80 of them downstairs. That's bigger than 90% of the churches in Chautauqua County. Did you realize that? 80 people, 80 kids downstairs is larger than 90% of the churches in Chautauqua County. I say that as like a, oh my goodness, the, the stewardship and trust that the Lord has placed in our hands is incredible. We do not babysit your kids so that you can do the important spiritual work up here. We disciple your kids in a worshiping community because we believe that their relationship with the Lord is no less important than yours, right? And serving them is not below any of us. It is actually one of the highest callings, highest positions that you can have. What, to pass out peanut butter crackers? Yeah, because you know what? Some of our kids haven't eaten yet today. 
And so a smile, a warm embrace, eye-to-eye connection, uh, an adult who, is, who, who listens to their voice and hears them and sees them, not, not just notices them, sees them. I say this to all my leaders, I'll say it to you, you can listen, you can literally listen someone else into existence. And this is just one example of how we often take this worldly idea of what it means to serve, what it means to be important, what it means to have influence or power or leadership, and we don't get it. We don't, we don't get it according to like kingdom principles. And kingdom principles are, if you want to be great, you better get low. If you want to be exalted, you better get humble. If you want to get rich, work to be poor. If you want to be at the front of the line, race to the back. This should be a, this should be a core value principle of every follower of Jesus. And, and I, am, I have worked, I will continue to work super hard for it to be a core value of us here as a church that, that we, we, we will never seek, we will never out, outrightly seek positions of power, influence, authority, leadership according to the ways of the world. We will lead, we will lead by serving we will lead by sacrificing. We will lead by emptying ourselves. We will lead by becoming servants and slaves to all so that, so that in us and through us the glory of Jesus would be revealed in the city, in the region, in the world, in your home, at your job. And we, and we will trust God to take care of the rest. The rest here of our passage here before I finish up. Jesus says, Not so with you in verse 26. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And then he says something that he like drives a nail in the coffin, so to speak, of this being absolutely central to kingdom living. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus plants this idea of servanthood, giving your life as a ransom in service to others, right? Emptying yourself, not having anything that is below you. He roots that in the very mission of the Messiah. He's like, the reason that I have come, the, the, the reason for me being here 
was not to be served, but to serve. Like, so, so written on the very heart of God is serving. Written on the very heart of God is a, is a sacrificial life. Written on the very, written on the pages of Messiah 101 handbook. Give your life for others. So this is not just some like fly-by-night contextual like, oh, that was great for Jesus, but not, but not for us. This is written in the very nature and character of God, that God is a God who gives of himself sacrificially, and that to follow Jesus is to follow the pattern of the one who did it before us, to give his life, to serve, not coming to seek a place where others serve us, but come racing to the back of the line, seeing the places that I can serve, seeing the places that I can be a blessing, seeing the places that I can, that I can, um, that I can like influence from the bottom up. Now, you'll, you may be asking that, okay, well, pastor, where do I sign up to do something after, after that massive guilt trip you just laid on us? <laughs> Fair question. I'm not prepared. Um, uh, <laughs> but um, we, and by we, I'll ask one of my staff members to do this this week, um, maybe even by the end of the day, um, will be to uh, put something up on our, all of our social media um, that gives you an opportunity to say, yes, I am willing, I am willing to serve. I am willing to give one Sunday a week in this area, or one Sunday a year, or no. <laughs> no. No. I have derailed. Uh, one Sunday a month in this area, one Sunday every eight weeks in this area, or whatever, right? I, I, am willing, I am willing to do that. I am willing to go there. I'm willing to, there's no job that is below me. Nothing is not my job. It's one of our core values here. Um, and you know what? When there is an army of people who are willing to serve by emptying their, themselves, by emptying yourself, you, we, us, the world, the kingdom, are going to see so much fruit. You're going to see so much fruit. It's like the the story where Jesus tells the disciples to put their nets down on the right side of the boat instead of the left. And when they did, did things the way that Jesus said to do things rather than the way that they thought it should be done, like they tried to pull their nets up and there were so many fish in the nets that they literally ripped, right? And when we do things the way that, the, the way that uh, under kingdom 
under kingdom principles, the way that Jesus tells us to do things, um, like, there's a lot of net ripping that happens. And that's a good thing. Um, if you don't have social media, and you don't know, how, but you want to serve, you want to sign up, or you want to be made available, uh, I, I, I jam with the low-tech stuff, too. Write it on a post-it note, write it on a napkin, you're, um, there's, ca oh, there's, ca there's cards in the lobby. <laughs> yep, Sherry Hirschman is holding some, hey, look behind you, look, our own Vanna White holding up uh, cards <laughs> for you. Sign up here, your information, your contact, right, and we'll get you signed up, have lots of opportunities for service, okay? Um, let's have the worship team come back up and um, offer us a, a word of prayer here to close us out. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, Lord, be glorified in us so that we may glorify you to others. Lord, we ask your forgiveness for the places, the times, situations where we have sought leadership or authority or power or influence by, by lording over others. Lord, we can see so clearly in Scripture that that the way with the way up with you is down. That to be great, we must become less. We must become a servant, considering and working and serving other people, not by being over them, Lord, but by getting under them and lifting them up. Lord, let leadership for us, let influence for us in our homes, in our church, Lord, in our city, in our um, workplaces, Lord. Lord, help us to get underneath people so that by serving them, we can lift them up higher to you. To be encouragement, to be grace, to be gentleness, to be wisdom. Not forsaking our responsibilities to make hard decisions or to have hard conversations or to actually be in charge, Lord. We know that's not what you're asking, Lord. But to approach everything that we do in a way that says, how can I make this not about me, but about loving others and serving others and encouraging others? Father, and when that, when that water gets muddy and we don't know exactly what to do, Lord, would we just remind us to ask you? To say, to say, Jesus, help me in this moment. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to lead. I don't know how to proceed. I, 
I don't know how to serve in this moment. I'm, I'm confused and I want to do something. I want to do it in a way that honors you, Lord, but I need your help. Lord, and let us not be ashamed to say I need help. I need help, Lord. Father, we love you and bless you. We praise you, Lord. We wait for you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, come into this place. Wash over us, Lord, with the truth of your word. Convict us of our sin. Heal our hearts, our families, Lord. Heal your city, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen.